Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Greater Alton Church. And it's Super Bowl Sunday, and and all you Chief fans, we're not worthy. We're not worthy. We're happy for you. I ran into a Chief fan yesterday, and they said, oh, what happened to Green Bay? I said, you're lucky, because if Green Bay would have been in there, we'd have beat you. He goes, I don't know about that. Well, last time we played you in the Super Bowl, we did. And everybody went, oh, and I go, too soon, too soon. Now I'm rooting for the Chiefs. I want to see the Chiefs win. So uh, it's good, good, uh, good to have some Midwestern team in the Super Bowl. Hope you're going to a party. Hope you enjoy yourself. And um, if you worry about anything uh, about how the Super Bowl is going to turn out, just remember Floyd is the ref. He's going to he will give the final call. Uh, stand up, Floyd. Stand up. We got two referees here. Oh my. Don't throw the flag in the sermon too soon, okay? Please. We're in a series on faith. We're learning to look through our spiritual eye. And this is something that's been very challenging for me personally because I am not very good at looking through my spiritual eye. I'm much better at seeing through these eyes. I've got more experience seeing through these. And I've learned I lack experience looking through the spiritual eye. And that's why we're going through this series uh, to, to really learn how to do that, how to see things from God's perspective. Um, and today I want to talk about stretching your imagination. Now you may say, what's the imagination got to do with, uh, with faith? It has a lot to do with faith. Well, is it imagination a childish thing? I beg to differ. I don't believe it really is something we're to lose as we get older. You see, everything starts with an idea. It starts with sometimes at a restaurant, it starts with somebody, a couple of guys getting a pen out and drawing on a napkin. I've been with some of you where we've drawn stuff out and planned. I think the back classroom area, the great room thing, was designed on a napkin, if you believe it or not. That's how we'd started. But it starts with an idea. Uh, before somebody starts painting, they have it in their head. They start thinking about it. I love, I picture lots of things in my head all the time. And so I'm, I'm thinking of new ideas, a new thing we could do or something I could do. And, and I already got it in my head how it's going to work. One time, I kid you not, I had a dream. I was trying to make a particular little tool and I couldn't figure out how to get the ratio just right. And in a dream, I got it and I woke up immediately and drew it out. I couldn't believe it. It was awesome and it worked. And so there's, that's the way it works. Before a couple says, I do, they start thinking about what's going to happen after they say I do, what's going to get done. They picture themselves married. They think about their family. They think about where they're going to live. It's that way with a job. When we graduate, where am I going to work? Where, what am I going to do? Oh, I'm, I picture my job. I picture being in the corner office with the windows looking over the skyline and you're down in the mailroom. But that doesn't matter. We know it's going to get there someday, right? But it all starts with an idea, a picture in our mind. We dream. We imagine. Uh, and that's what faith is like. It's doing that. See, faith uses my imagination, uses your imagination by thinking, visualizing, picturing, dreaming before anything ever even happens. You've got you start thinking about how that would look. What would that be like? And that's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about some things that that. Um, well, what can we learn about imagination and how does it play a part into our our faith, our life of faith. Do we live by imagination? Because I do believe that it, it, it has a big impact. Number one, what I can learn from my imagination is my imagination shapes my life. It really does. Be careful how you think, the Bible says. Your life is shaped by your thoughts. And that's where imagination, that's the factory, is in the mind, in our thoughts, where we have these ideas, where we have these pictures and, you know, your thoughts, your imagination, folks, is very, very powerful. Some people have used their imagination to do some wonderful, amazing things. And let's be honest, some people have used their imagination to do some really twisted, demented, harmful things on this earth. I mean, you ever heard anybody say this? They'll hear about something and say, man, I can't imagine that happening in my life. Guess what? It won't. It won't happen in your life if you imagine it not happening in your life. Because that's where it starts. It starts with a thought before it gets to a plan and an action. Uh, I want to take just a second here and just think about this for a minute and go, well, are there, are there things that, can I misuse my imagination? Absolutely. I can, I, there are some things the Bible says I shouldn't imagine. I shouldn't put my 
my mental energy in. You know, back in the Old Testament, you have an example where God is going to flood the earth. And look what the Bible says up on the screen in Genesis 6. Look why he's going to destroy the earth. The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. Their minds, their thoughts, their plans, what they were picturing, what they were visualizing they were going to do with their lives was on evil. You say, is that possible? Well, what do you think worry is? Worry is using your imagination. Oh, that could go wrong. That could go sideways. What if? What if that? What if that? And we, and what happens? We shape, we posture our life. We shape our plans. We shape our approach by our worries. So worries is really using our faith in a negative way. When you stop and think about it, lust is another one. Lust is another one where we have these pictures. I just read an article about what it's like to date a supermodel. And I mean, I don't know if you've got that fantasy or had that fantasy where you go, man, I want to be like to, you know, to, to date a supermodel, whether it's a male or female, you know. And uh, this guy is talking about how hard it is and how frustrating it is and how bad it is because all these problems, you know, that are associated with that. And I thought to myself, wow, that's interesting. Because, you know, we all have this, oh, if I date a supermodel, it'd be cool and this would be great and that would be awesome and this would be... And sometimes lust, that's what a lust does. It appeals to our imagination. And we, we get into all these twisted, demented, strange thoughts and ideas that really play havoc on our marriage, play havoc in our relationships. There's, uh, there's uh, none of that. Revenge is another way we can re- misuse our imagination. Think about that for a minute. We could be creative if I could get even, if I could get my pound of flesh. And just how, just how the Bible says not to, not to even take vengeance on folks. You know, we entertain these thoughts. What a waste of time. What about greed? Can greed be that? Greed can be a misuse or imagine, oh, if I had this, I could get this, I could get that, I get this. It just leads to more and more and more. Now, the Bible not only says there's things I shouldn't imagine, there are some things that I can't imagine. You and I just can't. Like, what are you talking about? Well, the Bible talks about the, the height, the depth, and the width of God's love, that's hard to get my mind around. How about you? Or the greatness of God, or His holiness. There are just some things that are just really difficult. I don't know if I can even imagine. Like heaven. Everybody's got a different picture of heaven. Now, I, I do believe this. Like a child who, uh, when we were kids, and uh, we'd see the Christmas presents, and we would shake them, and we tried to imagine what's inside, and we wouldn't have a clue. We would hope it was something we wanted. It was hope. We was some. The Bible gives us, you know. But sometimes our parents would hint, "Well, it's got wheels." Oh, well, that rules out a BB gun. Or, you know. So, so God doesn't just give us hints, but sometimes gives us lots of information of what we can expect and see. But still, our minds kind of go. <clears throat> If we try, if we try to really grasp it and get a hold of it, I think Job said something one time about. He goes, "I am overwhelmed by the thought of meeting my salvation, meeting my Savior." He says, "I'm just overwhelmed by it. I don't know if I can quite get it, my mind around it." And so there's things like that. Here's what the Bible says in First John: "Yes, dear friends, we are already God's children. Right now, we can't even imagine what it's going to be like later on." But we know this. In other words, God doesn't leave us totally in the dark. We know this, that when He comes, we'll be like Him as a result of seeing Him as He really is. So there's some things I can't imagine. It's not a waste of my time to imagine. I just can't imagine. I mean, even the Bible says that we're to try to understand the width and height and depth of God's love. And then there are some things we can understand or that we can imagine. It's okay. In fact, the Bible encourages us to imagine. Have you ever said something like this? I'd like to think that's right. I'd like to think that's good. I'd like to think that's true. I've said that. I say that a lot. I'd like to think that. Well, the Bible encourages us to think that way. Look at this passage in Philippians. Fix your thoughts. And again, it's in this, in this imagination factory in our mind. Fix your thoughts on what is true, good, and right. 
think about things that are pure and lovely and dwell on the fine, good things in others. Wow. Don't just think about it. Really dwell on that. Let your mind picture the good in people. We say giving people the benefit of the doubt sometimes. In other words, we give them a pass. We give them a little little latitude. It says, think about all you can praise God for and be glad about it. And the reason I'm saying this this morning is, and it's this imagination that shapes our lives. It shapes what we do, what we think, how we feel. Number two, there's something else I need to know about my imagination. My imagination is essential to living by faith. It's essential. Now, if you take your your notes and go to the very last passage in the, the on your notes, is there is Second Corinthians five seven there on your notes? Okay, look at that. Well, look what it says. We live by what we believe will happen, not by what we can see. I think one translation says we live by faith, not by sight. The message says something about the, we just live in a way of it hasn't come yet, but that's what keeps us going because we know it's coming. Yeah, it's essential living by faith. Now, I'm not talking about pretending this morning. I want to make that clear. I'm not talking about pretending or fantasizing or make-believe. You know, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, the place of make-believe. Ching, 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 ching. Talking about the trolley here, okay, this morning. I'm not talking about that. I mean, I remember when I was younger, I would play uh, tennis. I liked playing tennis. Now, when I was a kid back in the 70s, we had tennis stars like Bjorn Borg, John McEnroe, Eli Nastasi, Arthur Ashe, Jimmy Connors. You know, those were the real stars. They used the small racket, not the big cheater's racket they use today. And what I used to do was, I lived on a farm, okay? And to play, I'd mow the grass, scalp it short, so short, because I was Wimbledon, you know, the grass is real short. And I would, as Wimbledon's on TV, I would go out to the chicken house, and there would be a, the end of the chicken house was this big blocks. And I had painted a line, the height of a, the net on a tennis court, a white line, and I would play tennis against Bjorn Borg for the finals. And I'm diving and I'm jumping. One time I would play, and I would be announcing, Gil's got, man, he's got Bjorn in trouble. Look out, pata, pata, pata. And then I'd dive and hit this ball and it would barely go over the line. And I'd hold up, you know, my racket and drop to my knees just like Bjorn Borg. And you probably never saw me on TV, did you? Because it was a fantasy. I didn't really do anything with that imagination except play with it. I didn't get serious with it. You following me? Faith is getting serious about what you imagine. It's putting some legs on what you're going to do, what you're what you're imagining, what you're picturing in your mind, actually doing something with it. You ever heard of the term pipe dream? It comes from a practice where they used to smoke opium through pipes and they would, these people would have these hallucinations and crazy dreams. I'm not talking about that either. Okay, I'm not talking about some crazy notion, oh, it's something I've always wanted to do dream. That's your dream. God's dream is different. What I'm talking about is the ability to visualize, church, that we visualize. This is why this open your eyes Open the eyes of our hearts, Lord, this year is so important. Open my eyes so I can visualize that spiritual eye to visualize, to picture, to entertain what God has planned that shapes your hopes and expectations. That's what I'm talking about this morning. It's essential. Look what the Bible says. When you think of it that way, look how, look how Hebrews 11 kind of jumps out now. Faith assures us of things we expect and convinces us of the existence of things we cannot see. I want you to circle assures and convinces and underline expect. Expect is what I could imagine. See, God has given you and I two sets of eyes. The physical eye and the spiritual eye. And if I can't see with my physical eye, I can't see something. You ever had to reach in somewhere to get something? You dropped something and you're reaching in there. 
And you can't get your head in there. You can't get your light. So what do you do? Well, I'm feeling for it. Yeah, but you're picturing where it could be. Maybe it's a key or a, a, a bolt or something. You know, you, well, I can't see something physically. I have to start picturing it mentally in my mind. I have to imagine it. And see, that's how faith works. That's how it works. And I started reading Hebrews 11, noticing this. And let's just rifle through these. Here's about Noah. Look what it says when he heard about God's warnings. He says that he could not yet see. He builds this boat. You see, it had never rained before. It's going to rain for 40 days and 40 nights. And it's going to flood the earth. And it never had rained before. Noah's like, what is it? Drops are going to fall from the sky. And so many, it's going to flood all this land. I just can't see that. But Noah must have pictured it. He had never seen what God was going to do, but he pictured what he was planning to do. And what's he do? He builds a boat. He builds a boat. Abraham, it says, said yes to God's call to travel to an unknown place that he would, would become his home. When he left, he had no idea where he was going. Typical man. He had no idea where he was going. In other words, he didn't see where he was going. And those three dots say, and he built a tent there and so did his son. You know, his sons, or Jacob built his tents there and lived there. And then it goes on to say this. Abraham did it by keeping his eye. Well, what eye are we talking about? Keeping his eye on an unseen city. Well, is he talking about his physical eye? No, he's talking about his spiritual eye. He kept his spiritual eye on an unseen city with real eternal foundations. And it was a city designed, imagined, and built by God. He sees with his eye this promise and goes, okay, I'll go. Not been there, but I'll try it. And then when he has his son, you know, if you remember these, the, these angels come, these, these guys come, these visitors, whatever you want to say, they come and talk to, to, uh, Abraham and Sarah and, and they find out they're going to have a son. He's a hundred, she's ninety. They both laugh and they name the kid laughter, which is appropriate. And then God says, I want you to sacrifice your son Isaac. And what's Abraham do? He, right now, the kids are learning that right now in their classroom. They're doing this, this very story, by the way. Aren't you glad we got people that can do that in our kids' ministry? Bring those stories alive. I want my kids to know the Bible. I hope you want yours. Great people. And so here we are. We'll see this picture of Abraham going up the mountain. And, and I was telling him, I said, it's funny, as Abraham's taking Isaac and, and this donkey with wood, and he's saying, where's the sacrifice? Where's the sacrifice? And Abraham says, God will provide. Or how does he know, how does he know that? Well, God will provide. God will provide. And sure enough, on the other side of the mountain somewhere, there's a ram working its way up. And they can't see that happening. God's doing something as they're working their way up. And they get up there and he ties Isaac up. I noticed the Bible didn't talk anything about Isaac even putting up a fight. Sets him down, takes the knife, gets ready to kill him. And all of a sudden, God speaks, don't do it. Look right over there. And he opens his eyes and he sees a ram in a thicket. And the Bible says this, it says that, Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. What's he mean by Abraham reason? He's thinking and he's concluding with his faith. He's trying to figure out what, how's God going to do this because he knows that he's been promised to have it. He saw the stars and he counted the stars that God said, your, your family's going to be as big as, as this many stars and he's a, over a hundred now. And now he's, well, if that's going to happen, how are you going to do that if I kill the first kid I got. It's just not making a lot of sense here. And he starts reasoning and thinking and picturing and visualizing. And his imagination helps him understand. His faith and imagination are working together. And he reasons, well, God, I guess, could raise him from the dead. And figuratively speaking, it says he did. You got Moses who leaves Egypt And he isn't afraid, it says, of the king's anger. Look what it says. He just kept right on going. It seemed as though he could see God right there with him. Well, what's he? Is is Moses crazy? Hey, Moses, what are you doing? I'm hanging out with God. Where? Right there. I don't see anybody, Moses. Moses has lost his mind. No, he sees through his mind eye, through his faith. He knows because God promised to be with him. God is with me. I don't even know if we even think about this. If it, if it, if this is on our minds a lot, Jesus is with us right now. Which chair is he setting in? 
I mean, He's here. When we count our attendance, we need to add that one, you know? He's here every Sunday. Bible says, when two or more gather in my name, I'm in the midst of them. He is right here, right now. How often do we think like this? Because it's essential to living by faith. Colossians 3 says it this way, So if you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, act like it. Pursue the things over which Christ presides. And look what it, look what it tells us to do with our eyes here. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorbed with the things right in front of you. Look up! With what? Look up, he says. And be alert to what is going on around Christ. That's where the action is. See things from His perspective. How do I do that? Through the eyes of faith. And how do I see it? With my imagination. It's essential. Do you still have an imagination? Number three. God's imagination for my life is bigger and better than mine. God has an imagination. Just look at animals. I just saw something on my iPhone. They, they, they fished out of the, some sea and it looked like three-legged, weird-looking... Yeah! <laughs> I mean, I'll eat a lot of things. I'm not touching that. What is that? Is that from Mars? I mean, what is that? God's got an imagination. You know, long necks. We go, we go to the zoo and I, I'll say to the grandkids, you know, I wonder what it's like to have a sore throat when you're a giraffe. Oh, Grandpa, you're silly. God has a big imagination. Let me ask you a question. Are your plans big enough for God? Are they too small for Him? See, the size, I've heard this this week, the size of my God should determine the goals I have. Think that's true? As a Christian? In fact, the size, my perception of the size of God that I serve can be confirmed in the plans I'm making. And if they're real small plans, guess what? God's probably not even in them. They're too small for Him. You see, if I only choose a dream or use my imagination that only relates to me, I'm going to settle for less and I'm going to miss out on the best that God offers. It's really wasting your life if you don't imagine anymore as a Christian. Ephesians 3 says this, God can do anything, you know, far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request or in your wildest dreams. He does it not by pushing us around, but by working within us. See, God wants you and I to imagine bigger than we do. He wants us to dream bigger than we do. He has big plans, big dreams. And just like uh, when my, my sons have not read these, I wrote a letter. I don't know if you guys do this, but when my sons were born, I went home immediately and wrote a letter of my dreams for my son. Nathan has one. Matthew has one. And in that letter, I describe, I've, I've, I want you to know I'm thinking way ahead here. I'm so excited to have you in, in our family. I know you're a gift from God. And I dedica- I'm dedicating you right off the bat. These are things, kind of the things I'm saying. And then I'm describing what their, what their childhood's going to be like. It's not going to be like mine. And then I'll look at further. I'm going, and you know, you're going to marry a Christian woman and you're going to have children. I can't wait for that day. The day they were born. Fathers do that. Parents do that. Am I right? You dream for your kids. You want to be better. God wrote a letter. He wrote a letter before you were born talking about His plans for you. And His imagination is so much bigger and He wants yours to be bigger. To be bigger than your own little world and self-interest. You hearing me, church? This morning, it's got to be more than just about, well, I'm going to have a job and I'm going to have some kids and I'm going to get this and I'm going to get that and I'm going to eat a bunch of stuff and then I'm going to die. I'll leave all this behind. God's got bigger, much, much better than anything you can come up with. Now, how do I know if my dream is from God? Well, first, let me let me give you a couple of thoughts to think about. Does it stretch you? Is it bigger than you? Does it stretch you? 
Is my dream based on what God can do or what I can do? You see, if I've got a dream and it's and I can do it, then I don't need God to be in it. And He's probably not going to be in it. Other thing, does it agree with what, what He says? Does, does this agree with what the Bible says? You'd be surprised how many people say, well, I'm going to do this and do this, and not even consulting the Lord. What does the Word say? What kind of guidance? What kind of encouragement? And by the way, God has a lot to say about what He wants you and I to do with our lives. And the third one is, does it accomplish His will? Does this dream accomplish God's will? This is something I was, I, I run across and I thought was an interesting thought. If a dream is from God, it'll be connected to His church and His plans for the world. Can you agree with that? Can you agree with the idea that if a dream is from God, it's connected to His church and to His plans for the world? You see, this church started with a dream. They were sitting around a kitchen table going, what do we want to do? And so why don't we start a church? Well, how are we going to pay for everybody? Well, I guess some of us will have to work. Well, how's it... What? A, Man, I don't know. Well, let's let, let's dream a little bit here. What would be what would what, what would happen if we did that? And we had, you know, we were young, young men, young preacher boys, and wet behind the ears, bucket buckets full of water behind our ears, made all kinds of mistakes, still make them. Did I see this? No. I saw meeting in my basement. Meet at the Holiday Inn? Okay. Meet down at the waterbed store? Alright. This is bigger than anything I could imagine. But it started with a dream. With imagination. With visualizing. With picturing it. What would happen? The dream that started this church was the Great Commission. Am I right, Mike? That's what started the church, was the Great Commission. Go all the world and preach the gospel. We wanted to be a church that did that. There's so many churches in town that aren't doing that. We've become one of those churches that doesn't do that. Why? We've quit dreaming. We've, we, we're not imagining anymore. We've got to, we've got to change this church. You've got to change your, you've got to change this from being this person that dreams little bitty to go, you know what, I need to, I need to, God, what do you got? What's your imagination? What do you, what are you imagining me to be? I imagine you to be like Christ, Tim. What do you imagine our church to be? To be an outpost for the kingdom of God that reaches people and changes, helps people find Christ. Oh, I've grown up. I don't, I don't dream like that anymore. I've grown up. That's childish dreaming. We'll get to that in a minute. I mean, are you, are you one of these people that how you see things and your dream is the best days or greater are behind us? Guess what? They will be behind us if that's the mentality here. But God never, you know, He didn't put my toes that way. He didn't put my eyes that way. He, you know what I'm saying? He, we're always facing forward and God wants us to go forward. And the best days, church, the best days for Greater Alton are ahead of us. They really are. If we can only imagine it if we can only start dreaming this again. Because see, there's, there's a fourth thing about our imagination that we got, we've got to come to grips with. Doubt is the enemy of my imagination. We begin to doubt our abilities. We begin, and so again, we, we start getting self-reliant. We doubt our abilities. We doubt God can do it again. We doubt the power of God. And see, when I start believing, listen, when I start believing my doubts, and doubt my beliefs. This just neutralizes what God can do. Look at the Bible says here in James 1. The doubter is like a surging sea driven and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect. 
and I put or imagine, because that's really the Greek word behind that. It can include the definition of imagine. Should not expect or imagine to receive anything from the Lord. You see, when I doubt, I, I, when I have doubts, I'm spiritually all over the road. I'm an emotional yo-yo. And do I, do, I used to say, well, I go nowhere. Well, that's not true. I go wherever the wind and the waves take me, where my circumstances take me. They begin to control me. But I realize something. I miss out on what God's got in, in store for me. So what do I do? What's the answer? I've got to start addressing my doubts. I've got to start getting those questions answered. I can't just ask those questions behind closed doors as a way of criticizing what's going on and start going, you know what? I need to find out why do I feel this way? Why do I have this doubt? Why do I have this concern? Why do I have this criticism? Why do I... And and get to the bottom of it and start believing my beliefs again and doubting my doubts again. Look at the Bible says here in Joshua 21. He tells Joshua, yes, be bold and strong. Banish fear and doubt. Get rid of it, he says. Then he says, for remember. Oh, there's that imagination factory again. Remember something. Let your imagination, let your expectations, let what you picture. Remember what? Then I'm going to always be with you. I will, I will go with you wherever you go. See, God promised Joshua that. And just before they're getting ready to launch and go into the promise, he said, hey, hey, you've got to banish these doubts. You've got to deal with these doubts because they will destroy your ability to believe and follow me. You won't be able to see what I'm doing. You won't be able to get ready for what I'm doing. I've realized something over the years. I've been talking about this. I mean, somebody asked me last week or said to me, you know, Tim, I'm fed up with my fear as well. I'm tired of fear pushing me around. I want to memorize this verse. Banish fear and doubt. That's a memory verse for some of us, huh? Banish fear and doubt. Get rid of it. Bag it. Move through it. Deal with it. Face it. Because I'm learning something, church, in this series. Faith is a choice. And fear is a choice. And I'm learning something else. It takes courage to have faith. You see, I, 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 for years I've had this mentality. Well, when I have faith, then I won't be afraid. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Well, if I have faith, I won't be afraid. Good luck with that. Good luck with that. That ain't going to happen. You say, well, the Bible says, you know, it talks about driving out fear and, you know, and blah, 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 and you banish your fear. I, I understand. But fear clones itself immediately. It appears like a, like a guy on a, like a, a video game. It regenerates. And it's back again. It comes back up again. It's, it's, it's like it's always there. And I'm learning something. It's that faith is not the absence of fear. That I'll get rid of the fear, then I'll be faithful. No. Faith is moving even when I'm scared, just doing it anyway. Just doing it anyway. I was 19, 18 years old, up on a diving board at the public pool, and I'm scared to death. I've never, I'm not a very good swimmer, okay? And I'm thinking, I can't do this. And my cousins are treading water, and they're little bitty. They're grade schoolers. Come on, Tim, you can do it. Everybody's going, what's going on? Gil's getting ready to jump off the dive board and his little tiny cousins are encouraging him. What's wrong, Tim? You afraid? Yeah. We'll save you. I don't know. When you hear a seven-year-old say, we'll save you. (laughs) We'll save you. Come on. And I don't jump. I kind of fall off the board. (laughs) Katush. And I come back up, that's like they said I would, because I didn't believe I would. I came right back up, and those guys were right there. We got you, Tim. We got you, Tim. Everybody's laughing. Look at Tim. Look at Tim. Beyond the inside, I'm going, I did it. I did it. I was scared to death, and I did it anyway. And I'm so, I love you, cousins. I love you guys. You helped me do that. And sometimes maybe we need a little help from the rest of the family. Huh? When we're afraid. I don't think I can do this. Do it anyway. I, I, I'm scared to death. You know, I'm afraid this is going to go wrong. That's going to go wrong. You're letting your imagination run wild. You need to discipline your imagination now. 
and focus on what the Lord's saying. You can do this. You can do this. The size of your God will ensure that you can do this. I have to deal with this doubt. There's a fellow in the Bible. His, his kid's out of control. And what parent would say, do something if you can, huh? When your kids are out of control and you're at the end of your rope, parents, oh, don't we go, oh man, I don't know what to do with this kid. And this guy's at the end of his rope. His kid's demon-possessed, throwing himself in the fire, all kinds of stuff. Well, do something if you can. And Jesus says, what do you mean if I can? Anything's possible if you'll believe. And he goes, and it's instantly, he says, I do believe. Help me in my own belief. I do believe. I have doubts. Anybody identify with this? All the time. I want to believe. Lord, I want to believe you. Um, Andrew Osborne showed me a meme. I wish I'd have stole it and put it up here. And it's Jesus leaning down to a little girl with a teddy bear in her hand like this. And, 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 she, and he's going, you know, let me have your teddy bear. And, and, and the caption she's saying is, but I love it so much. And he's holding behind him a teddy bear ten times the size of the one she has. Man, if we could just see it that way. You know, it's funny. We grow up and quit dreaming, but we really aren't growing up, are we? No. Help me in my doubts. Help me in my... And you say, well, Tim, don't you ever have any doubts? Don't you have any questions? I got lots of questions. I got lots of doubts. Yeah. I got stuff that makes me doubt. I got lots of... Boy, when I get to heaven, I can't wait. I'm just going to get a stick and hold my hand up. Keep it up. Anybody else got... Oh, wait, Tim's got another question. Yeah, that thing had happened back then, back in 2020, or, you know, 2020, or 2013, or what, what was that all about? I got lots of questions. And I don't know if I'm ever going to get them all answered. I don't have to understand everything for God to bless me. You don't have to know everything and understand everything for God to bless you. Electricity works. If I was to wire your house, I'd burn it down. I don't understand electricity at all. But I benefit from it working. And this man sits there and goes, I don't know, I don't know if you can. He goes, what do you mean? Anybody believes? Well, it can't. Okay, I believe, but I've got some doubts. Help me. And what did you just say? Oh, that's too bad. I could have helped you, but you, you used the D word. Sorry. Doubts. Shuts it down. Got it. It's over. No, he goes, okay, I can help you. Why? Because the guy is honest with his fear, honest with his doubts, and you don't have to have it all figured out for God to bless you. He says, that's good enough. He's addressing his doubts is what I'm telling you this morning. And God will bless you every time you go, you push through the fear, push through that doubt and say, you know what? God, I don't, I don't understand. I'm scared to death, but you said to do it. I'm going to do it anyway and see what happens. I'm more concerned about pleasing you and honoring you and doing the right thing and not what actually is going to happen to me. And if we can only see the big teddy bear behind him going, just try it, Tim. I devil dog dare you. Oh, don't devil dog dare me. I'll bless you. Number five, another thing I can learn is that God's Spirit and Word fuel my imagination. Sometimes, I don't know, my faith has been rocked by some sudden tragedy or change. Sometimes my faith gets just obliterated. But most of the time it doesn't work that way. And I don't think it's most of the time for you either. Isn't it most of the time our faith, when it begins to waver, or begins to weaken, it's as if it's got like, it just slowly dissipates, like some spiritual entropy that takes place where it slowly gets less and less and less. And next thing you know, we wake up one day and go, man, I, what happened to me? I used to believe that. I used to trust that. It's kind of like those helium balloons you get, you know, at Baxter's, and they're just wonderful. We get them up here every once in a while, and then we'll walk out in a small dome, and one is, is halfway down. What happened? And it's slowly, it's got a leak in it, I guess. I don't know what it is. Something is, it's, it, but if you take it to the tank, it'd go right back up where it belonged. And my faith, your faith, kind of like that, isn't it? It goes through these moments where it's weak, and it gets, it just starts, it's it's getting weaker or it, it's, it changes. It's not as strong. It needs refueled. And that's where the Holy Spirit comes in. There's all kinds of people in the Bible this happened to. Jacob, who was a big dreamer, has a son, Joseph, who's a dreamer that reminds him of that dream God gave him. 
and it and it's filled back up again. Filled back up. You know, I think Mary, the mother of Jesus, had those moments where she looks at her son perplexed and then re- is reminded, oh yeah, I remember what the angel said. Oh yeah, I remember what, what, what my son said one time. And and, shh, and their faith is restored or, or is inflated just a little bit more. You see, I need time with God's Spirit and, and the Scriptures to refuel my faith. I don't know how you are, but I do. Look what the Bible says here. No eye has seen, no ear has heard. We just sang that song. No mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love Him. And look what it says. But it was to us that God revealed these things by His Spirit. It's His Spirit that reveals that time alone with God, that time with you and God. I drove two and a half hours down to Jefferson City yesterday for a low prairie Bible camp board meeting and I was dreading the drive until I got on the road and realized I'm by myself and I could talk to the Lord. Phone wasn't going to ring. No radio. Just spend some time thinking and dreaming, planning, listening for God's voice. Asking Him questions, open-ended questions, waiting for an answer. That's how the Spirit works. Sometimes you're asleep and you just dream something. You go, where'd that come from? That was the only time you were quiet enough for the Lord to be able to talk to you. (laughs) And He gives you that idea and you go, oh my, or that thought. And you go, why didn't I see it? It's because you're you're not quite, you've not practiced enough looking through that spiritual eye yet. David said it this way, open my eyes to see the wonderful things in your word. I couldn't help but write, I, thought, I wrote down beside that verse, this, the best ideas are from God. Huh? The best ones are from God. Man, I get in that Bible, I always find something. That was so much better than what I could find on Flipboard or CNN or Fox. Oh, this is much, much better. See, God's word, it stimulates that that imagination factory inside. It, it inspires me. It, it, it's, it's, it helps me get a picture in my mind, not like TV or a movie. I was a kid. Our fourth grade teacher, Mrs. Waite, read, read to us Little House in a Prairie. And I don't know, when you heard it read to you, remember the picture of the farmhouse that you had and the family and and Mr. Edwards, I had this big burly guy that was just stinky and, you know, rough and gruff and, you know, like a mountain man. That's how I thought of him as, you know. And I, I pictured what Laura looked like and what the school looked like and, and how, you know, a little house in the big woods and all that stuff. And I just, man, I just love those memories. And then they came out with this show with Michael Landon and just screwed it all up. Well, that's not Mr. Edwards at all. Victor French is not the guy I would have picked. And that's not what Laura would look like, kind of. And Michael Landon as Paul? Heavens, no. And, and there's something about when you read, it taps into the imagination more than a movie. There's something about it. And I'm just, I want to encourage you. To open your Bibles up. You're reading the red letters, Jesus in red letters, and by the way, the rest of those pre-ordered, if you've got, if you pre-ordered, they are in the, the bookstore. You can pick them up today. You know, I read those in a real short, I've got an idea next year I'm wanting to do is, is look at one verse out of Proverbs every day from the chapter, like chapter one, day one, chapter two of the month, we'll look at a verse in Proverbs. And I'm, I'm planning on doing that in 2021. Because this is a great idea, looking at the red letters. Yeah, some of the stuff he says, I go, I don't know, I don't know. But I tell you what, it's encouraging. I find this book encouraging me to think about reaching lost people, thinking about my mission in life. And I need that, see, because my faith kind of gets cloudy, it gets kind of weak, it gets, you know, it gets, it gets lost sometimes, and I, and it ends up, I'm not living by faith anymore, but by sight, and I'm into, Windshields, grandkids, lawns, and not the matters of the kingdom. That should be my primary concern, according to Matthew 6. 
So I need that. Look what, look what Isaiah, a man who understood his mission, and he, and he was, he started by saying, Lord, here am I, send me. He didn't make excuses. Look what he says here. Morning by morning, he wakens me and opens my understanding to his will. He said, every morning, Tim, I get with God, and he gets in my head, into my imagination, into my thoughts, into my understanding. And by understanding, I see what, I can see where he's working, I can see he's with me, and I can see what's ahead of me, and I can look forward to what's ahead of me. Because of that constant diet. Number six. You know what it means when a preacher looks at his watch? Absolutely nothing. Okay, number six. <laughs> oh, that was silly. All right. Number six. <laughs> yeah, not a lot. Growing my character clarifies my imagination. Now, when I first heard this point, I went, huh? What? I don't think so. But let it sink in a little bit. You see, a lot of times when you associate uh, imagination to something childish, the Bible does not do that. The Bible says, if you're growing, your imagination grows. So listen, church, if you're not dreaming anymore, it's a sign you're not growing. Prove it, Tim. Well, let me show you. This is a passage here. Because you have these blessings, do your best to add these things to your lives. And look what he says. To your faith, add goodness. Knowledge. Self-control. Patience. Service. Kindness. And above all, love. Those are not childish things, folks. I, when I look at this, I go, okay, is a child good? Well, it depends. Does he have knowledge? Come on. Self-control? <laughs> Patience? They think about others and serve? Well, every once in a while after, after you've encouraged them a thousand times. Are they known for being kind? Kids can be cruel. No, it's we learn these things. Then it says this, if all these things are in you and are growing, they will help you to be useful and productive. And, I'll, and then I'll, that's where things go sideways. Most preachers go, you'll be useful and productive in your church. You'll be useful and productive in your neighborhood. You'll be useful and productive in your life, with your life. You'll do things that come. It says, you, look what it says. Useful and what? Productive in your knowledge. What's that mean? What I'm thinking, what I'm believing, and what I'm imagining, what I'm expecting, what I'm picturing, what I'm dreaming. If you, then he goes on, he makes it clear. But anyone who does not have these things cannot see clearly. Uh oh. Peter says if you grow, you're able to see through the spiritual eye much more clearly. If you're having trouble seeing, what to do, what to be. Do I have to finish the sentence? I have a lot of trouble saying what I'm supposed to, What's my role? I don't know what to do. You know, you're not growing. Because if you're growing, it clarifies. It says, he's blind. And look what else it says. He's blind and forgotten. He's lost his imagination. He's lost his ability to visualize. What's he forgot? That he's been made clean of his past sins. He's forgot when he was born. When he was a kid in the faith. A baby in the faith. When he was first born. When he started. Now when I looked at this passage this, this, this morning, early this morning, and I saw the word remembered, I went, oh no. My mind just started going crazy. I thought of the movie Hook. You all have seen the movie Hook? Dustin, is it Dustin Hoffman that plays Captain Hook? Yeah. And Robin Williams that plays Peter Pan. And you remember the scene where they kid, they kidnap his kids and he ends up on the ship and, and he goes, uh, and Peter Pan has grown up now. Peter Banning is his name now. He's even changed his name. He has kids and he's going to write a check. 
and think that's going to solve it. And he goes, no, that's not going to solve that problem. And remember, his son is up on the mast. Well, fly up there, Peter. Fly up there like you always do and capture your kid and save your child. And he's like, what are you talking about? Remember, he has to climb up and he gets out there in his hand. And remember the boy, he goes, come on, dad, mommy could do it. And he's like, and you can see he's given up. And uh, Captain Hook goes, it's me. Are you sure this is him? Yes, it is. It's He's forgotten everything. He's an adult. What has he forgotten? To imagine. Later in the movie, the Lost Boys are trying to help Peter learn how to fly. Remember, they, he goes through a grueling day. Everything's going bad. Rufio doesn't want to help him because Rufio likes being in charge. He's got the golden sword. He wants to be in charge, so he's not going to help. All the other Lost Boys are trying to help. And they get around the big dinner table, and they're all sitting around, and he's like, what a long day. And, he, and Robin Williams, they got him sitting in a short chair, so he looks like he's exhausted. And, and here comes all the food out, and they open up the lids, and the steam comes pouring out, and all the kids kids are doing this there's nothing in it and he's looking and going what is this because and he's watching all the kids eating the you know corn on the cob and and that one kid across the table he gets a hamburger and goes looks at peter and goes and and he's going and then he gets done and he goes are you going to eat that peter and he looks down as if he played and he goes Sure. And and then Tink speaks up and says, Peter, come on, eat. He goes, eat what? Gandhi had more than that. I do right here. And he goes, you know, you love playing this game. It was your favorite game. What are you talking about? She goes, imagination. Then you watch. Rufio gets up, slams the table, starts dissing on Peter Pan and and he comes back with a real bad comeback and all the lost. And Rufio says something else. And then finally you can see he's starting to get agitated and he starts to get riled. And he comes back with something. Everybody goes, whoa, bang a ring, Peter. Well, you're out, you're out, you're out, you're out. And he walks away and, and it goes to, there's Robin Williams. He's got the spoon and he dips it in that empty pot. He goes, hey, Rufio. Why don't you go suck on a dead dog's nose? Flips the cup, flips that, that, and pop! And it's all this color. And the camera backs off and goes in close to Robin Williams. And he's going, his eyes are slightly crossed. He's looking at the spoon. It's got gunk all over it. Colorful stuff. And the two kids, you're doing it, Peter. You're doing it. Doing what? You're using your imagination. I don't ever want to grow up. If it means losing my imagination. I know some of you think, boy, Tim, you just get into those stories and hurry up. We got stuff ready. Super Bowl is going to happen. Pre-game's already on. Blah, 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 blah. Tough, tough. Suck it up, buttercup. <laughs> what, I'm, what I'm saying is, is that I don't... I, listen, you know, today... Is it about Super Bowl? It's about your imagination. It's on the line, folks. This church's ability to dream is on the line today. And if growing up means I can imagine again, oh man, I want to grow. I want my eyes to be opened and see something again. To dream again. Some of you used to dream, but you've grown up. And you've quit dreaming. And that's why you have an empty bowl in front of you. And I'm just appealing to you this morning. Come on. I want to be able to say, Bang a rang, Greater Alton, let's do this. Let's start to dream. If we could only imagine. If you could only imagine. How would it change a friendship? Your family? How would it change your ministry, leaders? If you would, instead of looking down at the ground, feeling sorry for yourself, look up and see the plan that God has and get caught up in that and start 
planning your ministry, planning your events, planning your small groups, planning your time at work, planning, listen, planning everything with in mind something, I'm expecting God to do something there. What would happen to this church? Will you recapture your imagination? As we close, I've just got a few questions I want you to ask yourself. That's why those lines are down there at the bottom of your notes. The first question is, what if? Ask yourself this question, what if? What if God opened my mind? What if God opened my eyes? What would I see? What could I imagine? If I really started trying to imagine again, what would it be? What if I started doing that, started living like that with faith and imagination? The second question is, why is this not? And what I mean by that is, why is this not happening? Why is that not happening? Why is this not happening in our church? Why has this not been addressed in our community? Why is this not being dealt with in my family? And, and say, you know, Lord, why is that? Is, am I the person? What can, what can be done about that? How should we approach that? One of the refreshing things we did for the Hot Wheels ride this year is we sat up here in this room visualizing what it's going to look like. We asked three questions. These three questions were simple. What's the purpose of the Hot Wheels rally? We had four answers to that real quick. One was to bring people, unchurched people into our, into our building to get them familiar with our church so they could see what we're about. Maybe meet some members and hopefully maybe come back and then maybe study the Bible and then maybe get baptized. That would be wonderful. Chris Weiler, that was the first one. I thought we were racing cars. Aren't you glad we got people like that think like that? I'm so glad we got people to think like that. I'll tell you another thing. It's to bring families together. And I listen to Michael talk about some of the best times I've had my dad is when we're just working on a car together. But then I got to rub shoulders and got to get to know people in the church. My brothers and sisters like uncles and aunts. That's cool. I thought we were racing cars. Someone else said, uh, Richard goes, well, I think it needs to be a safe place. A safe place for families can have a good time and it's safe. We don't want somebody to get hurt. Of course not. I think somebody said something about, so, so the church could do something together. We're all doing something together. It's good for the church to do something like this together. That's why that, you know, if you're helping with the Hot Wheels rally, wonderful. But the next day is going to be that wing and thing weekend thing. And we're going to need everybody to help you know, cook some wings and bring some food and things like that and mingle with people after church. It's going to be a big party. It's good for fellowship. There's so many reasons. It's, what a great question to ask. What's the purpose of it? Then we said, okay, what do we want to do? What do we want to do to achieve that purpose? And we talked about what we were going to offer, what we're not going to offer, how we're going to change things up. And then, okay, who and how is it going to get done? And we asked ourselves, what needs to happen there? What do we need to be doing to make this work? Third question. I'm just saying, ask yourself some questions. And the last question is, why not me? What do I see that needs to be done and what can I do? How can I be a part of that? I really appreciate church. We have people that come to this church. They, we have someone that comes to this church and, and vacuums it out on Thursday nights before they go to a parenting class. They sweep this auditorium for us. She doesn't want anybody to know. She doesn't know it's not a big deal. Doing her part. Doing her part. We have, we have people, we have men and women come here and clean up toilets after we use them. They see it, they see the dirt, they see the filth, and they go, instead of going, well, somebody else should do it. Oh, don't we pay somebody to do that? Don't even get me started. No, it's volunteers that do this stuff. And maybe you ought to look at your workplace, look at your community, look at your small group, look at this church and go, wonder if I'm the person. Instead of making excuses like Moses or Jeremiah, I should say, like Isaiah, here am I, Lord. I'll do it. Here am I, Tim, Alan, Mike, Gary, whoever. Hey, I'll help you with that. I want us to think about that because we need to open our eyes, okay? 
So deal with those questions this morning. Let's pray and then uh, we'll give you time to fill out those cards if you want to respond this morning and then we'll sing another song and take up those cards as well. God bless you. God bless us as we try to open our eyes. Let's let God improve our eyesight through that spiritual eye. Let's pray. Father, thank you for um, some great ideas, great thoughts, Lord. I pray, I pray, Father, that you will stimulate some thinking in the minds of the people here at Greater Alton. Open our eyes, Father. Help some of us imagine again. It's been a while. Father, I, I know there's lots of things that take up our time and take up our, our vision. And Father, uh, you know, uh, we raise families. We've got responsibilities. Father, uh, we want to bring you into those and see through your eyes, through your perspective, how we can improve what we're doing in these places. Help us imagine again, to dream again. Help us see through the eyes of faith. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.